For all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors, all we know is to fight. Pray, they see God in everything I write. Yeah. Well, welcome to another edition of On One with Angela Rye. I am your host, and today we, I have the great privilege of having with us Dr. Carl Hart. He is the chair of the Department of Psychology at Columbia University and author of a new book, Drug Use for Grown-Ups. That might be backwards to y'all. We'll fix that on the other side. <laughs> um, and I am really fascinated to have this conversation with you, um, Dr. Hart. I want to start with something I learned um, on a discussion from Oprah on Clubhouse. And she talked about how when she goes into interviewing with folks, she asks them, to state their intention. And I want to do that today because this is a conversation that frankly, I am a little uncomfortable having. So I think it's a perfect time to do just that, which is to state our intentions. So my intention for the interview today is to get a deeper understanding of your perspective, um, understanding that some aspects of this may make me very uncomfortable, may make my listening audience very uncomfortable. And I would love to hear yours. Uh, thank you, Angela. I, I just have to correct first. Uh, I'm no longer the chair of psychology. I did I did my three year bid and I'm on sabbatical now. So but that's OK. I'm the most recent uh, former chair. So that's cool. Yeah. My intention is to uh, uh, my intention for doing this interview is to alleviate people's concerns and to help them to understand how um, they can enhance uh, pleasure and their liberty. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's my goal. And when you say enhance pleasure, you're talking about specifically as it relates to drug use, correct? Uh, we, we, we're definitely going to talk about drug use because I'm a drug use expert. That's what I do. That's my science. But this is far bigger than drug use. Uh, if people think this is only about drug use, then they miss the, a large part of what the book is about. Uh, the subtitle is Chasing Liberty in the Land of Fear. Uh, that's what this is about, helping people to understand that they deserve to live their life like they choose to do so, as long as they don't prevent other people from doing the same, and that uh, part of their responsibility as a citizen in a democracy is to fight for other people's liberty as well. That's what this is about. So I know that uh, your book isn't political in like in terms of Republican, Democrat, Green Party, Libertarian, but I'm interested in your political leanings because of the emphasis on liberty in your subtitle. Are you libertarian or do you identify with libertarian um, kind of standpoints? No, I'm not on anybody's football team. I don't get down like that. Uh, I'm an intellectual. And so wherever the, ed, uh, the evidence dictate my position to go, that's where I go. Uh, the positions that I'm espousing in the book are from the Declaration of Independence, the founding document of the country. And I advocate for us enjoying at least those three basic uh, birthrights that they uh, promised to all of us. That's it. That's American. Not Democrat, not Republican, not Libertarian. Yeah, and depending on how you read that thing, it may not have applied to us either, right? So <laughs> depending on what you mean by us. It certainly didn't apply to us. This is right. what I'm trying to help people to understand. That's easy. We all right. know that. But uh, Martin Luther King and all the people who we revered, 
they refer to that document in their fight for our liberty uh, for a reason. Because that's the promise, and you try and keep the country, uh, you try and hold them up to their promise. You make them uh, live up to that promise, and that's what I'm trying to do. Got it. Um, so let's let's jump in, and I know you're saying that um, if folks are focusing on the drug use portion and they've missed the premise of the book, I wonder how you feel uh, about the amount of controversy that has really been... Um, stirred up around uh, you um, basically confessing that you are a regular um, user of heroin and you say that you, you know, you were worried that you would get blackballed, blacklisted, you know, um, and could potentially face, you know, consequences from sharing this truth with people, right? That people would judge you in some kind of a way. Um, how do you feel after sharing this and seeing how much attention has been placed on you saying, hey, I recreationally use this from time to time. This is how it's given me joy or, you know, enhanced my happiness. There has been a lot of backlash. How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, just to be clear, uh, I wasn't really worried about the backlash when I wrote this. I, in the book, I explained that uh, over the years, the past 30 years or however long it's been, I have been silent or in the closet about my drug use in part because I was a coward. Uh, yeah, being judged and that sort of stuff. But let's, to be clear, uh, I'm not concerned about what people think about that today. Um, the, I'm an adult. I'm 54 years old. I take care of my family. I pay my taxes. I'm happy. So I don't really care what people think in that but before, when I was immature, uh, yeah, I worried about what people think. But those days are over. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, now, when we talk about the backlash, the thing that bothers me most about the backlash is that uh, people uh, don't understand where the backlash is coming from. The backlash comes from primarily from like the New York Post, that tabloid, that never really cared about black people's liberation. And that's what this book is about, the liberation of those people who have been shut out. And so it, it breaks my heart when I get pigeonholed into some position that tries to ridicule me as being unhinged or whatever they, they've done. When in fact, what I'm trying to do is advocate uh, for a compassionate position for a loving position of, of people who have been shut out. And so that breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. And when you say you're advocating for a loving position, what is that loving position that you're advocating for? When you think about the ways in which our communities have in fact been ravaged um, by drugs, um, by the selling of drugs, by the incarceration related to drug use, abuse and, and sales, um, what is that loving position? Dr. Yeah, so like you said, uh, our communities have been ravaged by drugs. You know, I began studying drugs 30 years ago because I believed that was the case. Um, and that's not the case. And so that's why I wrote the book to show people how they got hoodwinked. Like me, I got hoodwinked. I started studying drugs because I came up in Miami, you know, and I, I came up in the hood, a resource poor community, predominantly black. Uh, we were told that crack was destroying the community. So I went to the Air Force. Uh, I um, uh, studied, uh, got a PhD looking at neuroscience, trying to figure out 
how drug addiction uh, was affecting the brain, figuring that I can fix the brain such that the, uh, I would deal with this problem of drug addiction. You know, then after 30 years or so of study, I realized that drugs weren't the problem. The problems were the same old things that we already knew. Uh, lack of employment, um, racism, uh, lack of education or poor education, lack of health care. All of these sorts of things were the same reasons, but drugs were convenient scapegoats. Um, we can all point to somebody, for example, in our families who we saw as being addicted to a drug like crack or something else, and we can say, see, that's it. But as we get look deeper, what I do in the book, you can see that many of these people's problems occurred before crack ever uh, was even uh, an invention. Um, we certainly can see, like, for example, in 1982, the highest unemployment rates in the United States occurred in 1982. Uh, but yet, yeah, crack didn't appear in most places until like late 1985. But crack was, was blamed for things like that. So crack was blamed for problems that were already there. That's one. And um, there were far more crack use in white communities than black communities. But yet... Crack somehow destroyed the black community. Um, and so these things just logically don't fit. And I pointed out in the book, and so I'm trying to help people to understand that it's not the drugs, it's these other things. And then when we think about our approach to dealing with drugs, what that means is that they're coming for you. Uh, your community, and that became a bigger problem than the drugs themselves. And that's what I'm trying to help people to understand. Well, and I appreciate your perspective, but I do disagree. One of the things that you mentioned was um, we all can point to that one person in our family. I actually can point to two. And so I'm curious to know for you, um, and it wasn't crack, it was actually heroin. I'm curious to know for, from you if you have anyone who is a drug abuser in your family. Of course. I mean, yeah. we all do. Well, and Dr. Carl, but hold on. Like, we just remember our intentions that we said at the beginning of this conversation. I think for us, in order to really be able to unpack this, we have to be able to have a peaceful, peaceable, and not so defensive conversation, right, to really get folks to hear, right? We, I, I don't want to trigger folks, and I know you probably don't either. So um, I know you said you do. Um, do you care to share the story of anybody in your family who... Um, abused drugs or was it drug addicted? Well, I write about it in a new book. You know, I have. have I got through as much as I could. I've only had it for a day and a half, but I got through as much as I could. I plan to go to it. It's cool. I mean, I, I write about it in, in, in the book. My cousins, uh, uh, friends, uh, loved ones. Um, so I, I write about this in the book. Uh, and I write about write about it uh, in this book, the last book. This is where I spent 30 years studying, trying to solve the problem of drug addiction. And when you see um, what happened with your, your friends that you mentioned, your cousins you mentioned, did their addiction have an impact on their immediate family? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, okay. this, is, this is a concern. Obviously, this is a concern. Uh, and and but the thing about it is that they were having problems beforehand and then before when, they began using drugs. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and before and then once the, the drugs are gone, for example, mm -hmm. um, uh, they're still having problems. 
Wow. Well, so, and I, um, I can appreciate that. I think that if you take a step back out of the research, which I'm, I'm sure is hard, that's been your life's work for 30 years, as you've stated, um, you know, when you have micro situations in families and immediate families where people have experienced heartbreak, heartache, potentially death and trauma because of drug, addi drug addicted persons in their family, some point that becomes a macro level community issue. So for my family, I have two. Um, one is my cousin, Tracy Looney, who um, died at 21 years old. Um, she started using cocaine as a teenager, and then she um, began to use heroin, raised in a great family, two-parent household, my aunt and my uncle Steve, who is no longer with us, God bless his soul, um, but was around rich white kids, right? To your point that it doesn't just impact black families, it also impacts white families. And she started shooting up heroin, and Tracy used dirty needles and um, contracted HIV and um, at the age of 21 when I was in the seventh grade she died and it was devastating to our family it tore the family apart and my uncle Tony who is still with us and has been in and out of methadone programs which you do reference in the book um, is still alive he started um, shooting up because he got glaucoma, a very serious case of glaucoma at the age of 16 in high school. Um, thank you, Naja. Um, and couldn't, was told he couldn't play basketball anymore and that was his life dream. And so that drug was an escape for him and he, sh he was shooting up with my cousin and that is what happened. And um, that also tore the family apart. And so what I would be loath to do is to um, say to people that drugs hasn't had the impact on you or your community that you think it has. What I would say is that my perspective may be a little bit different based on my research, based on whatever else, but to try to take into consideration that perhaps your experience, perhaps your research didn't, didn't take into um, account maybe a certain level of empathy, maybe a certain level of um, understanding that this did in fact ravage communities and tear families apart, um, understanding that it has been um, and provided gateways to other things like HIV AIDS, the HIV AIDS crisis in our communities. And of course, to your point, Dr. Kai, get it. Um, it is not just a one single it's not one single thing like oppression shows up in all of these ways in classrooms even at columbia right sure we see it everywhere but we shouldn't just completely discount the role that drug has drugs have played in tearing up our communities um you know you said a lot there angela um I did. Um, and so I, I'm just trying to figure out where uh, the respond because, um, uh, you know, you, you described your cousin and these are horrible things and, you know, I'm with you. Um, and I uh, acknowledge this sort of thing in the book. Um, and I don't discount like people suffering. Um, this is a book that uh highlights their suffering and then give people an alternative 
and gives us an, uh, an alternative how to deal with these issues. And, 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 and you know, please forgive me for uh, referring to your cousin's uh, situation, but uh, I, I, um, when you talk about the needles and, and the HIV, um, I talk about this in the book about, for example, how the Swiss dealt with this issue in the 1990s when they saw um, large numbers of people in their communities uh, contracting HIV from needles. Uh, and one of the things that they did was to implement these heroin uh, treatment clinics where they uh, allow people uh, to come to a clinic uh, twice a day, every day, to receive heroin injections, uh, clean needles. Uh, each of the person had a social worker, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, an internist. Uh, they all had housing. Uh, now, uh, twenty plus years later, they have. Uh, they work. Most of them work. So these are the kind of things that I'm describing in the book, but the sort of national nonsense hysteria does not get to this sort of thing. And so, um, well, and yeah. I think, that, I think that part of that is also unfair because the hysteria sometimes isn't, you know, and I'm not here to defend the U.S.'s response to drug use and abuse at all. But I think that what I'm saying is some of it's not hysteria. Some of it is the byproduct of what addicted people do, right? Tracy had um, resources and the ability to get to needle exchange programs and all of that. But sometimes when you need a fix, you will do what you have to do to get the fix. And so, you know, I know that this is about responsible drug use, but there are certain um, people. And I know you have also um, pushed back on the idea of addictive personalities or whatever. But there are certain people who don't always comply with responsible use. And so the idea that um, a group of human beings, right, Dr. Carl, to take a step back from drug use for a second, who will text and drive, who have to be um, manipulated, pushed and pulled to put a seatbelt on in the car, um, to wash their hands to prevent, prevent coronavirus, to put masks on to ensure that another person doesn't fill a hospital bed that's already overflowing. To think that like human beings, adults, would take the extra step to be responsible in something like this when they're not even responsible with who their pusher might be, who might be getting them the drugs. And maybe the argument here is that, well, if you can go buy them in the the convenience store or the whatever, when the pharmaceuticals are also poisoning our bodies, it's just a whole other thing. So it's just, to me, it's like, no, you know, adults still have the right to choose these things to make bad decisions that could end up landing them in jail when, the, of course, the incarceration system is another podcast for another day. But ultimately, what we're asking for people is something they've demonstrated that they really don't have the respons responsibility and decision-making skills to, to do. Large. So, so sticking with um, the example, your, your, your cousin Tracy, um, you were saying, uh, you know, she'd do whatever she had to do to get a fix. Um, now, one of the things that we do in this country is that we have stigmatized drug use so badly that people are pushed into the shadows and then they engage in these risky behaviors um, that... Um, ultimately can lead to death uh, in some cases. 
right? So again, staying with the Swiss example, they have taken away the stigma. So people don't have to engage in those kind of risky behaviors uh, where they end up getting in trouble. So they have taken this approach um, that looks at it from an objective, tried non-judgmental perspective to keep people alive to live another day. And, and again, these are the kind of things that I'm describing. I'm trying to help people to understand, take away the stigma, the judgment of those people um, and try to help the folks who want to be helped or who can be helped. Um, obviously, some people don't want your help and won't do won't be helped. And you can't do anything about it if they are adults. I, I, I get that. But all of these things I am sensitive to in the book. I am describing these things. Do you um, at all get concerned with um, the thought that you're like, I know you've said that you're pushing for decriminalization of drug use right across. The no, board. I, no, no you're I, not. Not, I didn't say that. No, no. But okay. we can talk about what I'm what. Uh, but please ask your question. No, go correct. Just go ahead and say. So your position is not decriminalization of drugs. No. What is your position? Uh, the, it's in the subtitle. It, it's about liberty. Uh, people should have the right to put in their bodies what they choose to do so. So instead and of de decriminal, so just I understand the subtitle, and I definitely appreciate the push for people to get the book, to read the book, and all of that. What I'm saying is my position based on what I thought I read in the book and um, in some of the interviews that you um, have done, you have been on the side of decriminalizing is that, that it's not decriminalization, it's legalization, legalizing drugs across the board. Legal regulation and our Legal job regulation. and okay. our job as public health uh, please don't put me in boxes. That's I'm not, not right. putting you in a box. I'm saying it's a libertarian idea. It's not. I'm not calling you a libertarian. It is a libertarian idea. It is. It's fine. No, no, yeah, let me, it is. Hang on. Hang on. It I'm is. Right here. It's the promise that is guaranteed in the founding document of the country. It's American. That's how I, I think of it. Because when I think of libertarians... Uh, libertarians sometimes don't think about safety nets. They don't think about those sorts of things. And I certainly believe in safety nets and, and helping folks. Uh, and so that's why uh, it's a little uncomfortable to be put in that box. Yeah. And I, again, um, for clarity, when I just said that um, I was not calling you a libertarian, I was saying the ideology is libertarian. Um, central to libertarian ideology is liberty, which again is in the subtitle of your book. What I'm um, now getting clarity on is that your preference is for legalization of um, drug use um, and not, mm -hmm. so no. Okay. Can you clarify that? Because I, I can't even get to the next part of the question. So can you just clarify that instead of fighting back on the libertarian box, which I'm not putting you in, and instead of referencing the subtitle, in a perfect world for you, drugs would be fill in the blank. Legally regulated, not drug use. Drugs would be legally regulated, just like we legally regulate alcohol. Okay. We would have a 
quality control. We would control the unit dose. We would have requirements before you can purchase this, that sort of stuff. I laid this all out. I understand. Dr. Hart, is it your understanding that alcohol is legal or not in this country? Yes, legally regulated. Exactly. So as I said, your position is that drug use would be legalized. Drugs would be legalized, correct? Yes. Okay. Because you're asking for legal regulation. So that means that there would be no ban on illicit substances because they would not be illegal and illicit substances anymore, correct? That's right. Okay. So (laughs) what I was going to ask you was, do you at all get concerned about um, your position, particularly around heroin use, causing any issues for folks who have been fighting the fight um, of decriminalization for drug use over the last several decades? Are you at all concerned about becoming the poster child for why the GOP is like, we can't do this. Look, they just want to go and have fun with heroin or they want to go and be on mushrooms or they want to go and pop Molly. Are you concerned at all about um, taking away from that really hard, um, vigorous work over the last several decades. Uh, So when you talk about taking away from work, I've been out there working. I've been one of the major people working. So it would be like taking away from my own work. Exactly. What what I'm concerned about is keeping people safe first. So let me explain to you about decriminalization. Uh, Let's just think about the opioid crises. People uh, are in fact dying. Yeah. And they they are dying because they for primarily two reasons when it comes to opioids. They're dying because they have tainted opioid drug. That is, they think they have something like heroin when in fact they have something like fentanyl. Uh, so when you decriminalize drugs, it does not t- touch that. It does not enhance the safety of what people are, are getting. Legal regulation ensures quality control. And that's what I'm really concerned about, saving people's lives who are dying from um, tainted substances, from substances that uh, the amount in their substance they don't understand or know. Um, And and so that decriminalization does not touch that. That's why I am uh, um, uh, uh, worried about our focus on decriminalization, not really helping those people who are at risk to die. Okay. Um, and so the other thing is in the, in the book, you express some amount of frustration um, with people who talk about plant medicine, that um, people who utilize um, certain substances, specifically psych- psychedelics for the most part, which you said you've only engaged in at lower doses, but your frustration was that um, there is a pass given or a certain amount of grace given to folks who will um, entertain those substances or use those substances for spiritual reasons. But if they see it in your lane um, or they talk about it from your lane or vantage point, that there is not that same grace given. Um, Talk a little bit about your frustration there. Yeah, um, as you may know, I don't know if you know, uh, Michael Pollan, for example, he's a writer. He wrote a book called um, How to Change Your Mind. He's a white, uh, older guy, um, and he's talking about taking these substances, psilocybin uh, and a number of other sort of psychedelics. And his book and he were um, met with, uh, they were welcomed uh, in this space. We are excited about psychedelic uh, drugs. Um, And by that same token, we vilify other drugs and other drug users. 
And so my concern is that, is that this becomes just another sort of way to uh, exact American racism. Um, so the psychedelic sort of proponents are largely middle class white people uh, who are separating themselves from other drug users uh, and allow those other drug users to be continually vilified. And, and that's my concern. And we can see how this plays out, for example, um, uh, Laquan McDonald uh, was killed in Chicago, 16 shots. Uh, this poor uh, young teenager uh, got, uh, he was shot by the police 16 times. Uh, and they tried to dismiss it as him being on PCP, which is a psychedelic. Uh, ketamine and PCP are essentially the same drug. But our society looks at ketamine differently, more favorable uh, because it's associated with white folks' use, uh, whereas PCP is not. Um, although the drugs produce nearly identical effects, the narrative around the two drugs are wildly different. We think of PCP as creating superhuman strength, which is not true, and police use that sort of narrative to excuse brutality and another number of bad uh, behaviors in which they engage. And so I'm pointing out the proponents for psychedelics should be showing up and explaining that uh, this drug, PCP, is nearly identical as ketamine, their drug, but they don't show up. And so I am lamenting that fact in the book. You um, also reference folks who take psychedelics with shamans, and you mentioned that you find it creepy. Isn't that passing the same kind of judgment that you hope people don't pass while reading this book? No, uh, it's not. It, well, it was more of a joke, you know, uh, and uh, uh, it's a joke when you read it in context. And um, so here, let me read it in context. Some people find this comforting. I find it creepy and have never done so myself. For these reasons, I keep going, for these reasons, perhaps it's not fair to draw a comparison between my methamphetamine and my psychedelic experiences. Before this, this is where you talk about um, only using low doses of psychedelics. Um, so I'm sorry, your, your question is, uh, am I judging them for that? Yeah, isn't it passing the same type of judgment that you want people to not pass um, when hearing your perspective on... No, 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 no. It's okay for them to have a, a guide. Uh, you know, I didn't go into all the details of that. For example, when we have these guides, one of the major problems in the field today is that some of these guys sexually assault women. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I'm uncomfortable with that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. These uh, folks having all this power and then this person is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't I, I don't understand what the concern is here. I mean, it, to each his own. Um, but yeah, uh, that was in reference here. But I definitely understand the sexual um, assault portion. But I, and I also understand you referencing as it, it is a joke. Um, well, Dr. Hart, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, would love to know as we close what you really want people to get out of this book. Um, and for someone who's a skeptic, some may be like me. Um, and concerned about this, what? how would you convince them to pick up the book? I, I don't know if I can, the goal is not to convince people to who are skeptic. The goal is to get people to consider their own liberty. 
That's what this book is about. And to help people to understand how drugs and the scapegoating of drug further contributes to the subjugation of groups on the margins, uh, people, the black people that I care about, like the community from which I care. So I hope people can consider their liberty and get past the moralism. Uh, once they do that, then hopefully they'll be on the road to being free. Yeah, I hope so too. I think the most important um, step here is to have these conversations with um, tenderness, empathy, and compassion, and understanding that um, everyone hasn't spent 30 years researching, and maybe some folks have, and perhaps they've reached different conclusions. But at the end of the day, none of us want our people incarcerated for um, drug use, drug use, abuse, or addiction, um, that that's not a path to healing or to wholeness. Um, and I pray that as we all go forward, we can do this in less defensive ways and understand that there have been a number of things that have ravaged our communities, including um, the tearing up of families because of um, drug abuse. And so I wish you safety um, as you pursue your liberty. Uh, but most of all, I wish you truth and love. Um, thank you for sharing this time with me today. Surviving to do right, my people are warriors All we know is the fight, praying to seek God And everything I write, yeah